Welcome to Radio 5G, where we sort fact from fiction, conspiracy from falsehood, reality from the unknown. And by doing so, we change the collective consciousness of humanity. A production of CosmicReality.com Welcome to Radio 5G Other Voices that is pre-recorded for airing on August 9th, 2023. Today we start off with two videos from the Rumble Station Inspired Channel with Gene Nolan, supported by his wife Kristen. As a songwriter, artist, and an inspirational speaker, Gene finds his purpose in inspiring others to live theirs. Gene states, together as a couple and parents of three wonderful human beings, we have been expanding and creating our ways of teaching and passing on knowledge, as well as channeling the creative energy to help you transform your life. Our story is filled with love, adventure, and the unconditional desire to always learn, grow, and expand, and never shy away from the contrast that assists us in doing that. We want to empower you to connect to Source God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, and hear your own guidance systems and have the confidence and the tools to live your life of your dreams. Empower yourselves. Discover your purpose. Experience practical spirituality. On his podcast, Gene does this by taking complicated subjects down to their core components and then presents a way for each of us to rethink what it means to each of us and suggests ways of response. The first subject is Nassar, and the second is climate change. The third video is another rumble station, Jean Ho, with Jean Ho interviewing Donna Clement, the daughter of Kim Clement. The fourth video is entitled, What Happens When an Atheist Meets a Demon? So let's get going with Jean Nolan on Nassar and then climate change. Thank you for listening. And I wanted to come on today to speak about Nassar Jasara, something that you might have come across over the years. Um, a, one of the most pervasive stories out there. Absolutely huge. Um, and for some reason, it just never goes fully away. Um, some people call it legislation. Some people call it a conspiracy theory. Some people call it already implemented behind the scenes. I want to today go into the facts, into the fiction, and see how we can separate the two. But before I do that, I, I you know, something that uh, is so in me, if if I uh, experience something that is wonderful, I want to share it with everybody I love. That's kind of, you can ask Christine, if I see something I love or have just tasted something I love, I'll call her immediately if she's not with me and let her know. A couple days ago, a few days ago, Christine uh, came to me and said, hey, listen, um, you know, we've been, we've been, Christine and I've been experimenting, experimenting with a lot of things to improve our sleep because it's so important to us. Now, um, you know, there's from radiation to sound to um, all kinds of nuisances that we have in our world today that, that impact our sleep. But she came to me and she said, you know, um, I listened to Matt from Cultivate Elevate. We had him on a show. Remember Matt from Cultivate Elevate? Uh, he was talking about electroculture and other things. Great guy. And she saw a short by Matt where he talked about the static charge in various materials like polyester and other 
synthetic or semi-synthetic materials also uh, in the bedding, right, in the sheets and everything. And he said, basically, the only way how it used to be is to go back to 100% linen uh, bed sheets. And so Christine said, you know, I listened to that. It just made total sense in my spirit. So I ordered the 100% linen bed sheets. Okay. So <laughs> I was like, I trust my wife fully. So the, the bed sheets arrive. Uh, she puts them on. We go to sleep that night. I, I, I kid you not, it was the sleep of my life. It was so, so good. And I, you know, I go on very little. I go on between, depending on the season, but for a maximum of six hours a day. But boy, I woke up and I was like, this is amazing. And then, um, you know, she said, it, it's because if there are any synthetic materials in your clothing and in your bed sheets and everything, there's a static charge and that will that will interfere with your ability to calm down. So we just wanted to share this with you. 100% linen. I'll show you this here. I, I, I was just so excited. Here it is on the screen. You can find it. Now, the price tag, don't get me wrong, $175. It's, it's no, but to me, this was an investment that was so worth it. So we put the link in the description for you guys uh, for absolutely amazing sleep. It's like, I, I can't even tell you how big the difference is. And it feels wonderful. Okay. Let's jump into Nisara Jasara, my friends. What is Nisara Jasara? For those of you uh, who don't know, I'll pull up the screen and and I'll pull up the the Wikipedia, right? Because then we can go off of what the mainstream thinks about a certain thing. And um, put on my glasses here. The National Economic Security and Recovery Act is a set of proposed economic reforms for the United States suggested during the 1990s by private citizen Harvey Francis Bernard, or Bar- Barnard. Barnard claimed that the proposals, which included replacing the income tax with a national sales tax, abolishing com- compound interest on secured loans, and returning to a bimetallic currency would result in 0% inflation and a more stable economy. The, pr- the proposals were never introduced before Congress. Okay, so, so far, so good. This is the Wikipedia story. Uh, a guy had great ideas and it was never proposed to congress now shift over to the story that's been around the internet for almost 25 years now and that i first heard of in 2001 i believe late 2001 maybe two early 2002 that's how long i've known about this the story is that this amazing legislation actually was passed secretly in a secret congressional session uh, behind closed doors still under the Clinton administration in 2000. And then um, it was under under force uh, with the military stepping into the White House and basically forcing Clinton or a clone of Clinton, let me put it that way, that's one of the variations of the stories, forcing him to sign this into law. And then it should have been implemented, right, in, in the whole uh, structure of the United States and eventually globally, which how that would work, I don't know. But um, it should have been implemented, and 9-11 was used in order to destroy all evidence of this legislation and never um, actually see it through. Now, I will read to you, because to this day, uh, people that come into, if you want to call it the movement, and now I, I, I accidentally closed the link here, but I'll find it for you. Um, people that come into the movement of truth-seeking and truth-speaking continually bring Nisara up and they do it in a sensational way, whole 
Websites were created, a new financial system. This is what they're saying all the time. It's happening. And let me show you a, a tweet recently from a quite um, somebody who has quite the following, Jack Straw on Twitter. I'll read this to you and I'll show it to you on the screen. This is what they are saying Nisara is and will bring to the people. And then I go into a little bit of um, actual fact-finding mission here. It's just to get everybody on the same page as to what we're talking about here. Okay, here we have the tweet um, that came out just a few days ago. Okay, here we go. Nisara Jasara implements the following changes. Zero out all credit card, mortgage, and other bank debt due to illegal banking and government activities. This is the Federal Reserve's worst nightmare. A jubilee or a forgiveness of debt abolishes the income tax, abolishes the IRS. Employees of the IRS will be transferred into the U.S. Treasury National Sales Tax Area. Creates a 14% flat rate non-essential new items only sales tax revenue for the government. In other words, food and medicine will not be taxed, nor will be used items such as old homes. Increases benefits to senior citizens. Returns constitutional law to all courts and legal matters. Reinstates the original title of nobility amendment. Hundreds of thousands of Americans under the control of foreign powers will lose their citizenship, be deported to other countries, and barred from re-entry for the remainder of their life. And millions of people will soon discover their college degrees are now worthless paper. Establishes new presidential and congressional elections within 120 days after Nassara's announcement. The interim governments will cancel all national emergencies and return us back to constitutional law. Monitors elections and prevents illegal election activities of special interest groups. Creates a new U.S. Treasury rainbow currency backed by gold, silver, and platinum precious metals and ending the bankruptcy of the United States initiated by Franklin Roosevelt in 1933. Forbids the sale of American birth certificate records as chattel property bonds by the U.S. Departments of Transportation. Initiates new U.S. Treasury bank system in alignment with constitutional law. Eliminates the Federal Reserve System. During the transition period, the Federal Reserve will be allowed to operate side by side of the U.S. Treasury for one year in order to remove all Federal Reserve notes from the money supply. Restores financial privacy. Restrains all judges and attorneys in constitutional law retains, seizes all aggressive U.S. government military actions worldwide, establishes peace throughout the world, releases enormous sums of money for humanitarian purposes, enables the release of over 6,000 patents of suppressed technologies that are being withheld from the public under the guise of national security, including free energy devices, anti-gravity, and sonic healing machines. Um, Because President Clinton's clone had no interest in signing Nassara into law on October 10, 2000, Under orders from U.S. military generals, the elite naval SEALs and Delta Force stormed the White House and under gunpoint forced Bill Clinton to sign Nassara. Um, Okay, so this is as far as um, these stories have gone, and there's plenty of variations of this. Let's use and apply some logic here. Um, Because this is the ultimate hopium story. And for those who think uh, the, you know, for those who have kind of come into the field of ex- exploration of truth and truth seeking, they see this and it, it, it I mean, it, it just goes into your spirit. And goes, yes, that's what we need. Yes, that's what we want. Now, let's rewind to the uh, supposed Congress of 1999 or 2000 that supposedly passed this bill in a secret session, which I don't know why, but to a large 
to a substantial degree, it's the same Congress or, or similar Congress in terms of uh, who who the representatives were, who the, the congressmen and congresswomen and senators were, as the Congress in 2001 that passed the Patriot Act, which is the exact opposite, if you will, of Nisara. So you explain to me how uh, a legislative body apparently, supposedly, puts this dream legislation into law one year, and the next year, granted there were elections, but it wasn't like whole Congress was swapped out, not at all. And the next year, this legislative body passes in secret a legislation that is the exact opposite. It's like black and white, good and evil, exact opposite. This was in 2000. This was before this um, great awakening wave that we're seeing now has happened. This is when all of the subjects we talk about today so openly were fringe subject. You had subjects. You had a, a few people talk about this. You had the Alex Joneses of the world. You had the David Ikes of the world. And you had a few others, Jordan Maxwell's and uh, um, a, a few others, you know, uh, G. Edward Griffin. And it, there was a movement, but it was fairly small. It was absolutely not even close to the mainstream. This is one of those hopium stories to me that... Uh, is so good that it keeps people from taking action in their own lives because it's this white hat savior story. And if you can see, it comes in various shapes and it adjusts and it adapts to the current, um, you know, state of, of things. But make no mistake, a lot of these quote unquote movements are psyops and they are actually created to pacify the population and keep them from making significant and meaningful changes, bless you, my love, uh, significant changes in their own lives and taking things into their own hands and actually doing what needs to be done in their lives. Um, reading this and having read God knows how many articles on this and having seen God knows how many videos on this, there is not a single shred of evidence that would point to this fantastic story. Are there secret closed-door sessions of Congress? Yes, there are. Um, are there are there even semi-secret or secret semi-legislative bodies? Yes, there are. There are sessions. There are secret courts. The FISA court is not an, an open court. There are secret military courts. All these things exist. But if you look at the state of the world today, and if you look at what we're seeing in the economy, in the financial system, uh, how all this plays out, does this sound anything like what I just read to you? It, it doesn't. Because, and here's my um, conclusion of this, this is a wonderful, wonderful PSYOP created by, the gov- by entities within the government. Let me put it that way. Whether it's the intelligence community, it doesn't really matter. And it's created to keep this. And here's how they keep that going. They know that people, the longer a, a, a state of or the more oppress, oppressive and controlling a government gets, the more the people feel the sense of rebellion coming up within them, the more restrictions and laws that are put into place, like the Patriot Act, that it, it, it created, for example, it made flying, which used to be a very pleasant experience. Actually, I liked it into a horror show where you're treated like a, the worst criminal uh, every single time you go, walk through an airport. 
So they know this. They study people. They see this. So what do they do? They create something that looks like a good rebellion, something that looks like a huge change, but doesn't actually encourage you or inspire you to do much or to change much. It says, no, 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 it's already taken care of. The white tech, the white hats, they got it. And the, the Nisara is, is every, I mean, for years and years and years. You know how often I heard this story? It's coming this weekend. This weekend it's being implemented. Uh, the banks are going to close. And in the background, the new financial system is coming up. And there are new kids jumping on the bandwagon every single week because they love the stories. It sounds so great. And they get insider, military insiders told them it's already happened. Financial insiders come up every few weeks and post these videos and say, oh, well, yeah, it's happening. They were in a suit and a tie and they, they, they look like ex-elite banker. It's finally happening. Nasara implemented. Uh, payouts coming next week. Quantum financial system. Give, sorry, give me a break. These are very, very carefully controlled psyops. Because what do they never say, those bankers? They never say, change your own life. Discover what the truth really is. Go within. Um, align your values with your actions. You know, step away from things that you know to be wrong and do things you know to be right. Begin uh, becoming self-reliant, responsible. Uh, begin developing yourself spiritually. Begin thinking in different ways. That's not the message. The message is, we got this, don't you worry. And they're dragging this out. And you see the the, the preliminary end date of this dragging it out is 2030. That's a preliminary end date. That's how long they need to keep the population semi-pacified because all the systems, the latest by 2030, are supposed to be implemented. That, however, my friends, is not a conspiracy theory that you can read up on in all the documents that these organizations with the UN as the flagship organization that's up front and their various sub-organizations are putting out every single day. The UN Agenda 2030, the World Health Organization, International Health Regulations. It sounds much more boring. It's much more boring to read than Sara Jassara. That, that's exciting. Now, reading the 300-plus amendments of the International Health Regulations, not as exciting, but very impactful. Very impactful. You read about the new uh, climate change legisl legislations that are being implemented everywhere. You read about the new cashless rules. You read about CBDC, and I'm not talking about some website somewhere. Go for the .gov. .gov. Go for the UN websites. Go for the uh, central bank official websites and read what they're saying because they're actually the ones doing the doing. So um, I, I know this is, for some people, this is a, um, what I'm doing is wrong because it gives people hope. It gives people uh, a vision but that is hopium. Hopium is not hope. It is literally an addictive, and they know this, by the way. Hopium is a, an addictive, now digital substance. And they know how to make the perfect mix to keep you just engaged enough in these stories, but not actionable enough. And this is why a lot of times our message is not as popular as all the other messages or many of the other messages, because it requires personal responsibility, because we say we are not the saviors. 
there's there's no, no white hat saviors out there that are going to change your life. You have to do it. And by incrementally, positively, and consciously changing our lives, each and every one of us, and, and positively uh, really envisioning a new future and putting our money where our mouth is and putting our actions where our mouth is, we are actually creating something new. One spirit, one soul at a time, one human being at a time, and we are actually um, contagious to those around us because it becomes a movement when people see the, the positive effects that it's having on your own life. And that is much more powerful. Do I believe that everything that is being lined out in these fake Nisara uh, leaks is possible and will come about at one point? Yes, because I believe we will create it. I believe we will create all the circumstances and we will create the actual thought processes and we will create this, the, the environment where this will happen and where this will be the most logical thing to do. Because it isn't logical that we continue to participate in our own enslavement. It doesn't make any sense. But also, um, part of these last operations over the last years that have been out there, you have to be, you have to have discernment. And you have to tune in with your spirit. And you have to ask yourself this. And this was my biggest, biggest with the whole Q movement was the slogan, trust the plan. Whose plan? What plan? There is, there is value in what has come out. I've said this many times. There is a lot of value in the information and in the digging that people have done. So overall, it has had a positive effect. But the trust the plan story and we got this. And watch what happens. What is that? It's passivity. It's keeping people passive. And this is the last thing that you want to be. You, you don't want to be the extra in your life. You don't want to be the passenger in your life. You want to be the captain of your life, steering the ship at the rudder with divine co-creative help, of course. That's always that's the imperative here. So when you come across these things, and there will be more, use discernment and use logic too. Just go back. If, if you don't believe me, go back and watch and, and, and research who was in Congress around the year 2000. Who was in the Senate? Who was in the House? Um, what else did they decide on? What other legislations did they pass? And would Nisara even make sense within the context of these legislations? And let me put it also this way. This whole story that a president was forced uh, under, you know, w with a, a, a gun pointed at him, that would nullify any legislation anyways. So um, I kind of wanted to clean up with this because believe it or not, we get these messages frequently and we get um, especially a lot of times, especially the younger kids all hyped up about it. And they are literally building their life around this new uh, Nisara quantum financial system that is activated this, this weekend. It's finally the weekend where it's activated. I'm sorry for the cynicism. And if I will be proven wrong one day, I'm the first one to admit that. But for now, I'd much rather bank on a community that we're creating. I'd much rather 
count on uh, the friendships, the kinships. I count on my own abilities, my own discernment, and my willingness to take responsibility for myself, my family, and take uh, action steps every single day for self-reliance, for independence, true independence. All righty, my friends. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. I can just tell you, (laughs) I wanted to bring this up again because I was so surprised. The whole sleep thing, the 100% linen bed sheets, I mean, just absolutely amazing. I was so surprised, uh, positively surprised. I want to thank thank Matt from Cultivate Elevate also for his wonderful research that he does on his channel. Check it out, Cultivate Elevate. Uh, he's always very informative and gives. Again, this is this to me. He's one of the he's one of the real guys because he's actually saying, "Here's what you can change today. Here's what we know now. Do this and this and this, and watch what happens." This is what I love. This is exactly the kind of um, inspiration that we all need. Things that we can do with what we have right now. All right. Much love. Many blessings to you. We love you. We appreciate you. We'll be back with you again very, very soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to an Inspired live stream. Inspired Tribe, we're healthy, we're wealthy, we're whole, we're free. You know the mantra of the Inspired live stream? been like that for a very long time that is the affirmation that is what we are affirming and envisioning and speaking into existence i want to welcome everyone in the live chat uh good and and wonderful friends that we see wonderful tribesters that have been with us for a very long time always great to see those names in the live chat um by the way uh, this just happened. I wanted to let you know, YouTube, uh, for the time being, kicked us out of their partner program. We're, we're working on that. But um, this is just, you know, things that we usually don't talk about. The things that happen in the background while we do this work are sometimes, well, let's say very, very strange. Uh, not unexpected, but strange. But at any rate, for those who um, wish to support us in a work Become a supporter in the Inspire Community and Locals. We do uh, exclusive live streams there, stuff that we don't do anywhere else. We really appreciate uh, your support there. So if you feel like supporting us, just hop over. Links in the description. Let me jump into today's topic. And that is um, one that we recently discussed for the third time on our channel with Dane Wigginton of geoengineeringwatch.org. He speaks very candidly, very openly about his take on what the mainstream calls climate change and about his take on the engineering part of things. Uh, That's not too much of what I want to go into today. I want to go into a a different perspective and one that I, as an, you know, as part of the human family and as an observer of the whole discussion, I am consistently trying to figure out a way to bring this discussion uh, into the mix. The thing that I see is that, we have been conditioned to look at our connection, our uh, interaction with the natural world, with the environment, through the lens of a very, very narrow um, description. And that is called now climate or climate change. Basically, those are the only words that people use anymore when they talk about um, the environment, pollution, when they talk about uh, geological uh, changes and uh, I think it was a brilliant PR move but it absolutely distracts from the real picture Uh, 
And the problem is also that politically speaking, it's such a politicized debate and both sides of the aisle, if you will, if, if you consider this the only options in a political arena, by the way, the left and right have it both wrong. And here's where the frustration kicks in. I observed the left-driven the uh, agenda, the left-driven narrative, which has been there for so long, which has gone from global cooling to global warming to all the things. It is focusing and zeroing in on basically fundamentally one uh, factor, which is CO2. That's the huge debate, right? And their solutions are all solutions are all driven in that direction. Now. Um, there are a lot of scientists that uh, have a different perspective on this and probably rightfully so because the science as presented and as incomplete as it is, doesn't really add up. Also, the suggested solutions are uh, basically a return to a ruling elite and peasant-like state. These are their ideas. Their ideas are as it would appear through their documents, agendas, and their various, uh, you know, government influence that they have is um, that the vast majority of the population is taking one course of action, while the self-proclaimed elite is taking a completely different course of action. The screaming hypocrisy, you can see that is when you listen to people like John Kerry, one of the climate czars, um, when he was questioned multiple times about you know, you're suggesting all these things. You're, you're, you're literally flying your private jet around the world and tell others to curb their emissions. How does that happen? And he said, well, for, for a person like me, it wouldn't be feasible to travel any other way. I can't do my help without using my private jet and basically not saying this out loud. But the truth is having the, the million times more emissions than any other person. So... But let's leave that aside. So the, the, the narrative of the left is very much driven in the CO2 and their solutions are electric cars and uh, a digitization of everything. So basically the Internet of Things. Now, this is not just the left solution. This is also the uniparty solution. But the problem is that the political right and its um, its voters have seen through the holes of that narrative, but the conclusion they've come to is there's really not much wrong here. There's not much we need to do. Um, Really, it's all good. We can just continue to uh, burn oil and gas. We can just continue to produce more of these uh, engines to, uh, you know, curb up industry, do more of that. It's It's all not a big deal. And that's just as false and just as flawed and just as fatal as the other narrative. And I wish my desire is through looking at truthful, not just truthful information, but also common sense to bring this back to where it needs to be. We need to take responsibility for our actions and how we've been duped. Now, the truth is that so much of the um, destruction in nature of the pollution that has happened didn't have to happen. We would have had other solutions, but there was an agenda. I always say this, there was an agenda to bring about a certain kind of industrial revolution, the one that we've seen. The truth of the matter, however, is if you really want to find out what the state of our natural world is, 
And for those who've been around a little longer, I mean, I, I just compare what I see now to what I saw when I was growing up. And so many of the things are horrifically different. It's hard for us, for example, to find a body of water, a lake, a stream, a river that is even remotely clean. Now, you can't tell me, no matter what political party you subscribe to, or if you don't subscribe at all, you can't tell me that you don't see the connection between uh, the, uh, the pollution of water and our own declining quality of life and the declining health of the earth itself. Th these things need to come back to common sense because the truth is that neither side wants to accept what really is required of us. You, you don't have to even look into the um, flawed debates of climate change to realize these things, which, of course, don't get me wrong, I could go on and on and on about the cyclical nature of things. I could go on and on and on about previous ice ages, tropical ages. I could go on and on about sun activity, solar activity. There are so many things to consider here. But that's not what I mean. I'm not talking about preventing the natural... Uh, evolution of things or the natural cycle of things. Everything in nature works in cycles. Hence, I don't think that we truly can prevent a cycle from happening. But I do think that we can kill ourselves in the process and eradicate the human family and many other species from the earth through our behavior. And it is, to a large degree, our behavior and our transfer of responsibility that does these things. When you go and you uh, clear cut tens of thousands of acres of trees or, or millions of acres of trees and you later replant trees, you've not fixed the problem because you have removed ecosystems. You have removed um, a whole plethora of species that have harmoniously and symbiotically existed in those acreage of woods. And why do we do this? Because we need to get to the root of things. And people say, well, we can't just stop doing what we do. The economy would collapse. And I think this is where we get to the crux of this whole thing. So many things of the, so many of the things that you and I and most people do every day or the practices or the basic fundamental ways of life that we have make no sense. They don't even make sense to us. But we do it because we're part of an economic cycle. We do it because, yes, we need to survive. We need to pay our bills. We need to make the money, right? I mean, there's, there's no disputing that in today's society that is a necessity. I'm not disputing that. What I'm saying is that we are fundamentally basing our very important life decisions and ways of life around an artificial system. And it's, it's so ingrained that people believe it's natural, but the economic system is not natural. It's a man-made system. And this man-made system does not serve uh, the earth. It doesn't serve the species on earth. It surely doesn't serve the human family, really, if you look at it. It serves one thing, and that is profit. And it, it perpetuates the idea that you can infinitely grow that profit when nothing on this earth grows infinitely. Everything is finite and part of a cycle. But because the economic system is at the center of every decision-making process, every decision-making process, literally change cannot truly happen. 
And this is where we need to start rethinking. I've been, I've been just walking um, with the sheer explosion of inventions. Uh, I mean, inventions of new products over the last two decades, just the last two decades. Where does all the need for all these new products come from, new inventions? People say how creative the human family has become and how many great products we produce. But why are we producing these products? I would venture and say that 99% of the products that we see being invented and produced are produced to solve problems that other products that were invented before are causing. So we're in a vicious cycle here where we're constantly treating symptoms and we're saying, oh, well, this is a problem now. Like people are having in neighborhoods, in, in every suburban neighborhood of America, people are, are, are using all kinds of chemicals and pesticides and products to treat their homes, to treat their gardens, to treat their lawns for bugs and fleas and ticks. And why? Why? Is this really the natural way of life? No, it is because we have... Uh, clear-cut everything. We built a neighborhood. We have absolutely removed the natural cycle ecology and balance of that particular area. And now we're trying to fix it by a by, by using one poison to mask for the damage we've done before. And if we're not getting honest really here and really becoming honest with ourselves, because it's each and every one of us that needs to look in the mirror and think and feel of how we can change our ways because it will not be solved by any of the current uh, suggested solutions. And I'm not talking about climate change. I'm not talking about huge cyclical change. I'm talking about sickness, depression, pollution, obesity. All these are side effects of a destructive way of life that we are living. And we're destroying ourselves, we're destroying our home, we're destroying our nature, and we're doing it so many of those things we're doing subconsciously. And it's not a political debate. See, I, if, if I would subscribe to any particular political stream, it would probably be more like the libertarian stream of things, which calls for a true free market. Um, seems to contradict what I just said or calls for true capitalism, seems to contradict what I just said. I venture to say that we would actually see some of the best, most innovative and really good solutions if we really had a free market. Because right now we have the, the, the pretense of free markets in all areas that are really controlled by the most wealthy corporations that create quasi-monopolies by in having such influence on a political process that they favor their products, they favor their services by law and make it very, very hard, if not impossible, for other solutions to come up. But the solutions are really starting with us and with ourselves. And we need to educate ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, why are we doing the things that we're doing? If you come back to that uh, thing that everybody knows, People are spraying their lawns with all kinds of poisons. Uh, the, the people that are spraying are using masks and they're using hazmat suits. And then half an hour later, toddlers and puppies are playing on that lawn. What do you think that will do to their immune system? What do you think that will do 
to the earth, to the water, as the poison sinks into into the, the, the soil and the water. And these are so many things that we're doing every single day that are just uh, trying to fix symptoms of a completely wrong way of life. And it, it sounds like a monumental task, but we have to realize that some of the things that these great resetters and these um, very, very psychopathic elite, self-proclaimed elites are calling for, they have taken those solutions straight from the positive, the good playbook and turned them into their own dystopian nightmare. But it's not wrong. It's not wrong. If we were to continue this trend that we've been on for the past hundred years, and if you if you look at how much we've grown in, in our actions, in our pollution and everything over just a hundred years, if you continue that trend over the next hundred years, there's no chance we make it for another hundred years. Think about it. Start your car in your garage. Keep it closed. You know what will happen in, in 15 minutes. You're dead. Carbon monoxide will fill the room. You'll die. It will start filling the house. Everybody in the house will die. We can't dispute these truths just because we, we don't believe in electric vehicles. Just because we don't believe in the Green New Deal and see what it is supposed to do. Just because we understand what the Agenda 2030 is really supposed to do. We cannot reject the truth that we have been mistreating our beautiful earth, our beautiful natural realm, that we have been mistreating each other and using each other to survive in this economic uh, uh, circle and not kept any balance any longer. Again, why do you think we have one dollar store after the other so that the, the more and more stores are opening up with cheap, plastic, useless products? Why? There's only one reason. I've explained this before. In an economic cycle, it, the way it works in a debt-based system, the, that what we have is a debt-based fiat system. So because it, all the money in, in circulation is credit, it's debt, and over time, the interest rates grow exponentially, that's why the economy needs to continually grow so everybody can repay the interest and the debt. When the economy doesn't grow any longer, this system collapses. How do you make the economy grow over when, when, when you're so saturated with the necessity products? You need to create useless, cheap products. So then you ship a dollar product made from the, 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 the most uh, uh, dirty plastic made with absolutely no, no uh, safety rules and anything uh, in place. You make them in cheap factories in China. You ship them halfway across the world over the ocean uh, with engines that burn the, the dirtiest oil. And then you sell them here at mass quantity and you continue that over and over again. Then they get disposed after a month because they don't work anymore and they land somewhere. And we see our waters filled with that. We see our landfills filled with that we have to understand that we are the ones who need to start solving those problems. And, and it, it can only happen when we reintegrate ourselves into nature and start, stop seeing ourselves apart from nature, apart from our home, apart from the water and the trees and the animals 
and the skies and the rocks and the mountains and the streams. We have been conditioned to believe that we are not a part of it, a part of it. We, we, we now believe we are disconnected from it. We don't belong with it. We're apart from it rather than a part of it. And that is the, the whole crux. If you raise your children in a concrete jungle and you don't take them out into nature and you don't make that their natural habitat, which it is, well, they will believe that wide walls and doors are the natural habitat and grass and, and, and trees and bugs are the enemy. It's literally a, an upside down world. And none of the political parties, because they're always the worst to look for, for solutions, always in any country where I've ever been, ever observed, to look at the government for solutions or political parties, it's, it's, it's insanity. It's insanity. They have enabled all these problems and, and, and contributed to them in the grossest manner and created conditions under which we almost have to act in this reckless way to survive. But the more we learn, the more we connect, the more we are uh, in tune with ourselves and with uh, the spiritual realm, the more we also acknowledge that we're part of this whole cycle here. And that we need to change our ways. And I'm not calling for anything like this great reset bullshit where uh, the elite wants to create a sovereign class and a peasant class. And basically they would still behave just the way they do right now while you do nothing and stay in your house and, and wait for the next lockdown. That's not what I'm calling for. I'm calling for a, a spiritual revolution and a revolution of the mind and of the logic and of common sense we need to get there again start thinking for ourselves again start reconnecting there's no way around this and um, if i look today from just a natural realm of my quality of life i compare it to my childhood days and i compare my childhood to the childhood of the children that are born now and and, and raised they're being raised now it's it's a horrific change it's a horrific change in just a couple generations. And that's not good. You should be able, if we live through the spirit, if we live true to, true to our, um, you know, destiny, you should be able to walk up to any lake, any stream, any river and drink out of it. And there shouldn't be a reason why, we, you know, why, why, why shouldn't we be able to accomplish that? I believe this kind of lifestyle uh, has happened before on Earth, but it's always it's always been the exception, not the rule. I don't think this has been the rule. And we haven't listened to those who have lived in a natural way the longest, the indigenous cultures. Because the, me, I'm of European descent. It's been a while since we have had an indigenous intact culture, uh, you know, to a certain extent, but nothing like Native Americans, nothing like Aborigines in Australia, nothing like that. And, and they've, they've lived in harmony with nature, very much in harmony with nature and many other indigenous people for up until very recently. And we refuse to listen. We refuse to listen. And there's only one reason why we refuse to listen. It's because of the almighty dollar or the almighty euro. That's the only reason why we refuse to listen, because our spirit knows they're speaking the truth. Our spirit knows we can't continue pouring chemicals into the water and survive. Our spirit knows it doesn't make sense to spend 50 minutes or an hour 
in rush hour, one one way every day in 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 horrific pollution, six way interstate, and day after day after day, this is happening. Electric cars or not? How much how much mining and pollution do you think it takes to produce an electric car? How much pollution? How much mining? How much uh, stupidity it takes to produce the electricity with our current means? Because better technologies have been suppressed for a reason. Continue to be. We have some growing up to do. We need to put on the big boy pants and the big girl skirts or pants or whatever you want to put on and own this and own this change and not look at a political program that will not work. I'm heavily, I'm heavily opposed to all their suggestions because they're all in one way just perpetuating um, a narrative that is wrong. All right. I think I've been on this soapbox for a while here. Um, this, you know, I see. Okay, I'll give you an example before I get off. I'll give you an example of how disconnected this all is and how disconnected most people are. Uh, there's a lady that lives close by. And every year, on multiple occasions, she has her... I think already it's it's a Monsanto lawn, but she has her Monsanto lawn sprayed for bucks and ticks and weeds and whatnot. Every year, at least twice or three times. She's probably in her 60s. Um, and I, I, I won't lie to you. She looks like death itself. Uh, she can't go out into the sun without being fully covered. There is no life force in her. Uh, she can barely walk or move or think for that matter. And she thinks she's doing a great things by having her lawn sprayed two, three times a year. She's very sick in many ways, has told us as much, and is, according to her own words, taking all kinds of medications. This is the epitome of what we're doing as society on Earth. She makes no connection between the behavior of spraying that lawn and naturally consuming those chemicals one way or another and her physical condition. And we are, we're the same on a big scale speaking. We're, 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 we're sick. We're obese. We're depressed. Uh, we are infertile and we don't make those connections. We somehow don't realize that our lifestyles are creating that. And if they make us sick, what makes you think our lifestyles don't make the world sick, the earth sick? They do in so many ways. And if you, you can either be a climate denier or you can be a climate changer. Those are the only options in the mainstream. And both are bullshit because they're not actually addressing the real problems. The real problems. We shouldn't produce things that we need to put a skull on and a poison sign. It's as simple as that. We simply shouldn't. And we've gone for God knows how long, eons, without doing that. And that's the thing, like with everything else, that's based in, in, in personal responsibility and self-reliance. Yes, I did not create the system, but is my behavior perpetuating it? Yes, in, in, in many ways, of course. So I need to look in the mirror and find out what I can do, how I can become the change that I want to see. 
And if we think that seriously think that simply removing these entities uh, that are perpetuating this dystopian future nightmare will solve the problem, we have another thing coming. Because to a certain extent, we are the problem. Not our existence, but our behaviors. And I've often said this. I, for example, I love this land. I love America. I love this beautiful land. I love the natural beauty. I love the spirit. There's a spirit of freedom here. Like, and, and Unlike anywhere else I've been, I've been in quite a few places in the world. I've never felt the spirit of freedom as much as I felt it here. And I think that is something worth defending. But our lifestyle is not worth defending. It's not worth defending. It doesn't make sense. We build we build houses that are shoeboxes at best in a climate that is extremely hot in the summer. What does that mean? Unless you have the AC running 24-7, and how does the AC run with power? How do you produce that power the way we produce it currently? It's a vicious cycle. No, but we're not thinking about changing the way we build houses, making them of more natural materials that are known to insulate that have been used in other places of the world for centuries that don't require a constant conditioning. No, we don't do that. Why? Profit. The almighty dollar is the only reason. Build as cheap as possible, sell as high as possible. And as long as that is the imperative, as long as that is what drives every decision in our lives, that's exactly how it's going to be. That's exactly how it's going to be. And we are now at a tipping point in both directions. Those who take the positive path, it's a tipping point. It's becoming exponentially better. Those who go with the narrative, with the mainstream, it's becoming increasingly worse, health-wise, financially, on all levels. I know we can't push the stop button on a dime and all just seize everything and, and change everything on a dime. I know that. And I know that we, too, are part of this cycle in ways. But we have to begin somewhere and we have to make those changes incrementally and we have to do what we can with what we have right now. It's just like when you start growing your own food or growing a garden. So many people have said, I can't do it because I don't have land. I don't have this. Maybe you have a corner in your closet where you can start with hydroponics. Maybe you have a small little space on your patio or balcony. Maybe there's another solution to get started. Maybe you have a joint uh, you can go in with someone else or someone else has a backyard they're not using for that. There are always ways, but we need to start with what we have and what we can in this moment, even if it's just a small step. The journey of a thousand miles begins with the first small steps. But here, last, not least, as always, bring it back. Bring back that responsibility. If each and every one of us was aware that we all share equally this responsibility for the health and the beauty and the balance of our beautiful home, this earth, we would all behave differently. We would all behave differently. And I think that's what it requires. I don't buy into any of the public political debates. They're all bullshit. Nobody, none of them wants to change. And that's what you really need to look at. None of them wants to change their behavior. They haven't. Any, any of the senators... They're senators, they're dinosaurs. They've been in there for 40, 50 years. They've had the same behavior for 50 years. Now they buy CO2 certificates and trade them, make money off of them. That's all they do. 
You think they stop flying their 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 jets or stop uh, taking the invitations by the billionaires? Do you think they stop doing any of that shit? No, no. They're just selling a new they're just selling a new product to the gullible. We need to take this into our own hands, and I believe in that. I honestly believe in in the beautiful community that's out there of people that are willing to take to man up and woman up and and make those changes incrementally in their own lives. So many of you have also on a positive side written us and said you got inspired by our guests and what they're doing, what they're sharing. You have started um, doing things differently, uh, not just on a personal, not just in, in practices, spiritual practices, which is equally important, but also in terms of how you interact with nature, how you live your life, uh, growing your own food, growing a garden, all those things. It's highly positive and inspiring to us. So thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I hope this was a little bit of a um, a nudge to think about these, these things differently because I know uh, so many are oftentimes getting involved in these political debates, but, you know, our our uh, our home, our earth, it's it's not a political debate. It's who we are. It's what we're inherently connected with. We need we need to do this. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Um, also, once again, uh, thank you for your support in the Inspire Community on Locals. The link is in the video description. If you wish to continue supporting our work. Uh, please do so. Become a supporter there for either $5 a month or $50 a year. It's discounted. Um, and uh, enjoy the coffee and truth live streams. Enjoy the honey talks and the other exclusive things we do on locals, uncensored, unfiltered. Much love. Many blessings. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Gene, for clearing up that Nasara story. If we want to see it, we have to see it. We have to make it come true. And good advice on taking care of our domains may be the way to save the planet, one domain at a time. So now we are going to listen to Jean Ho interview Donna Clement, who has continued her dad Kim's life work. From their website, houseofdesign.org, quote, Who was Kim Clement? Many have called him a prophet, but to simply call him a prophet is not even enough. Part of the journey to understanding Kim is a lesson in understanding the uniqueness of his destiny. He was not a doom and gloom prophet with an apocalyptic forecast every three years. Instead, he was a voice of hope to those who needed it most. He was able to paint a picture of destiny that inspires instead of frightens those who catch the glimpse. He found a way to define again what it is to be a true prophet. He, along with his wife Jane, were the founders of the House of Destiny Church. Kim died in 2016 at the age of 60 as a successful musician and an impressive record of accurate prophecies. End quote. I highly recommend that you, uh, you look further into his life. It'll astound you. But right now we're going to listen to an interview with his daughter and Jean Ho. Welcome, everyone, to About George with Gene Ho. And I thought it would be a real quiet week. And then all this stuff with Trump comes about. I'll tell you what, this week's are going fast. And we're going to finish up strong on this Friday because to finish up the week, we have Kim Clement's daughter, Donay Clement, 
First of all, Donay, welcome to the show. As always, super honored that you are here. Really, uh, I, just so everyone knows, I follow Kim Clement for the longest time. The crazy thing is, when I was with the campaign trail with Donald Trump in 2016, never even heard of Kim Clement. It was only after, by the way, Trump became president and Kim Clement passed away before I started becoming a real fan of his, watched almost all of his videos, anything I could find. Anyway, Donay, welcome to the show. First of all, before we even begin, because I want to show a video, but uh, how are you doing now? And I know you know uh, are familiar with the Trump and all this going on. What do you think about all this stuff going on with him? Are you worried about it? What's going on in your mind with Donald Trump? Donay. Man, D Donald Trump can stress me out. I'll tell you that. Because... <laughs> Because, but you see, it doesn't matter about him. What matters is how they're treating him because he didn't do anything. We all know he hasn't done anything. We all can, it's so brazenly obvious at this point that no, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. And plus no. I, yeah. I know ahead, what my please. dad prophesied. And so with that, it's not just about my dad. It's that God made a promise. And along the way, the one thing that has been so reliable for me is those little little points of light through time that God showed my dad. And all of those things have been so reliable that really overall I'm not worried. But when we're in the middle of it like this, it's very stressful because it's very unfair. I mean, it's, but it's, it's so over the top that it's obvious now. And I think it's becoming more and more obvious to people. I, so. I, I, I do. I mean, I actually envision another two. I could almost count two more indictment so like before the election there's probably gonna be two more and it's getting to the point where it gets really dumb i mean they should have you know make it seem like they're not trying to target him so much anyway donate one of the things that kind of threw you into trump lore and your dad uh, who's actually quite frankly more famous now than he's when he was on this earth but it goes back to this one prophecy and i want to go back to this one first greg roll it trump shall become a trumpet says the Lord. No, you didn't hear me. Trump shall become a trumpet. Are you listening to me? I will raise up the Trump to become a trumpet. Do you hear the sound of the trumpet? I said, do you hear the sound of the trumpet? Okay, so you know, Donay, I, I still get chills every time I hear that and I see that. Uh, and every time I was almost like this, Donay, I feel like I learned something new because how many times did your dad have to say, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? And it's just amazing. Going back to your dad when, when he first said that and you were around watching his events, did anyone actually envision what would happen years down the road that this would actually come to fruition? Or did your dad say, well, you know, uh, these things are God told me, but like, I don't know how they're going to come to play. Did you, did your family know, envision what was going on right now in time, Donay? No, no. But one thing that my dad did, because my dad saw so many things. And at the time, like put yourself in 2007, he's saying Trump will be a trumpet. And that's sort of, it's like, what, what does that even mean? And so in the moment you wouldn't understand it. And, and, and so oftentimes with prophecy in hindsight, you look back and you, it makes sense. And so for him, uh, I know in 2007, 
he, he, that was when it first started coming out of him, but a lot came out in 2007. So that was one prophecy, the first one you played. Then uh, there's probably three or four more times he was seeing more and more. He saw the wall. He saw he was in Maricopa County and he prophesied, you will have at your helm for two terms a president who will pray, but he won't be a praying president when he starts. Now, these are all tying in with other prophecies. And so um, I do believe that at one at some point he, he began to figure out, no, this is the president or he just wasn't telling us because he often didn't didn't tell. <laughs> So I think around 2011, our uh, Israel Update correspondent, uh, 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 Christy Desfontaine, she was at his house. I wasn't there at the time, but he, she was there visiting. And uh, he came out of his prayer garden. He said, I know who's going to be president. And she said, well, who? He said, I can't tell you. If I tell anybody, they're going to call me crazy. So I think by around 2011, I think he, he had, God had showed him enough that he'd figured it out. But he was very weird about when he would prophesy about leaders. Uh, and so uh, he wouldn't have just come out and said, oh, Trump's going to. But he did also keep prophesying and within his prophecies over and over again. He would say, you're going to say nothing like this has ever, ever happened before in our country and in our culture. Nothing like this has ever, ever happened before. And he said it over and over again. And so he was seeing something, but he only saw in glimpses. But I think he, I think he was, no. by the time Trump came down the escalator, he knew for sure. That was without question by that point. And, and here's the thing, and I, I have to, um, I, I'll be honest, I'm just uh, so happy I'm in, uh, about this, that you gave me your dad's prayer mantle that he wore in his prayer garden. And it's like uh, our families, our whole family's one of our most cherished things we have. Uh, the other thing about it is, his your dad's prophecies are even now coming into fruition even though people a long time ago i have this one photo greg if you could pull up that one photo so i could talk about it here this is the one where donald trump basically lit uh twitter on fire because he had a hat that says not 45 and 47 he put 45 dash 47 thank you greg and the uh whole point is something that your dad said, and, and it's the perception of us in MAGA Nation that really, that there's really like two presidents. And I get it because the deep state wants us to say, oh, Biden's illegitimate and, and whatever, but it's our perception that counts. Anyway, this is what your dad said. Anyway, Greg, roll it. But my dad prophesied this on April 4th of 2008 in Seattle, Washington. And this is what he said, and I'm gonna quote him. And they shall say, but now there is a second president. How can we have two presidents? An unusual thing, isn't it? Says the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, so here we have another thing that's coming into fruition. And even so much more, it's thrusting your dad's prophecies into the limelight once again. When I know, who knows what your dad thought when, it, when he said this with the two presidents. But even along the way. Did you ever imagine what this would mean when, when your dad said two presidents? Your thoughts, Donay? When he prophesied that, I didn't even know he prophesied it. I only found that prophecy later, and it wasn't in the database. I actually found it uh, independently. So sometimes we have a prophecy, so people understand. We have a prophecy database, and you can do keyword searches, and we've got 40 years of stuff he prophesied. The people over the years... This is before video, you know, this is in the 90s, the 80s and 90s. People knew what they, what was happening, you know, in these churches he was going to. So they recorded him on audio cassette, then on VHS and so on. 
And so, um, you know, we have a whole database and uh, this has been accumulated over decades. Transcriptions, and again, if you go to our website, houseofdestiny.org, you can, you can look in that database yourself and see, you know, did he prophesy about China? But China. And we didn't have it in that database. And so I found it independently sort of going through footage and realized what he prophesied there. So I shared it. Now, we did not have audio. I think we were still trying to, to find it because we have a warehouse full of stuff uh, that we're still going through. And um, it was uh, the one that got me in the most trouble. And it's not even my dad prophesying it. I found the prophecy and I just read it like what you just showed. I read it to everybody. And this was right after the election. So this is in between the election and the inauguration, uh, 2020 into 2021. Somewhere in between then is when I found that and I shared it. And we got we got a huge strike on our YouTube channel, almost lost the oh, wow. channel, the YouTube channel. They're, they're, they sent in the picture of me and I'm smiling and it's like, you got a strike. <laughs> And if we ever, ever mention that two presidents prophecy, for some reason, that's the one that gets them the most mad and we get wow. most of a reaction. It's, it's oh. kind of weird. Yes. Okay. And, and the other thing about it is your dad actually prophesied about George magazine. He said that there would be a new magazine, which is interesting. He says not on the Internet only, which is odd because no one would ever imagine that we would have a physical magazine in this day and age, along with the, the Internet magazine, he talked about it uh, featuring the finest of economists, the finest of athletes, even all this. And it's a, it's like it, 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 it gives me chills to even think about uh, these things. Now, Donay, before we go to commercial break here, um, when it comes to your dad's uh, prophecies, even now, does it like the, it, a lot of the stuff is just like blows my mind like are you past past that where if you find something new or something matches that you're like well of course or is it still are you still in the mindset like oh i cannot believe it i am so blown away at this stage when i because now i have the hindsight 2020 situation going on with prophecy and the level of accuracy is astounding i'm so it's like i knew the gift my dad had and I, i witnessed it through through his life but to see what has happened and the way it has played out, oftentimes not as I expected. Uh, I would know from the prophecies that this will be the outcome or this will be the outcome, but you don't know how you're going to get there always. And the 2020 election was a, was a real lesson learned for me on understanding prophecy because uh, I was completely thrown. But no, I am, I, I'm still surprised to this shocked. The, the more time goes on, the more I'm blown away like my goodness dad like this is a stunt i miss him i wish he was here to be able to see this i mean i know he's watching from heaven but it would be so much better if he was here with us (laughs) i know okay stick around because when we come back i have a couple of prophecies that i found of course that you know about as came from your channel but the thing is it's interesting the application of what's going on anyway stick around about george with gene ho coming back we have with us donay clement of course you know her dad, Kim Clement. Donate, first of all, thank you very much for being on this show. I, uh, ever since we met, it's almost like as, we, as our families have had a good, uh, a wonderful bond together. It's almost like we were meant in time to be together. Uh, really quick, uh, what are you up to? Before we get to the next video, what are, what are you up to nowadays? Uh, are you relaxing at home with your family? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about your show later on, but what are you doing now on a, on a personal level? 
my whole life is this. I, I, I have my children and I take care of my children and I do nothing else but go through footage. Well, you know, we have a whole ministry. We have a whole network. So uh, it's called the House of Destiny Network. Mom and dad put it together. And so I spend a lot of time working on that. We have a number of channels and broadcasts. And um, so that keeps me busy. And then I've got the children. But really, I, I, I just I do this. And the rest of the time, I'm informing myself on what's happening in the world. I keep my, try to keep myself informed. Uh, you know, it's like it's so much more difficult now that we understand the mainstream media is not reliable, that they're, uh, you know, well, we all understand about the media. So, um, you know, something I've been telling people is it's, it's forced us into a position of becoming all becoming journalists ourselves. But the positive thing is that the way that social media has gone, and I know there's a lot of negative, but the positive is that the, you can follow individual people that you know you can trust. So, for instance, I follow Gene, I follow Dan Bongino, I follow John Solomon, and then I, I know who to trust. So I spend all of my time watching what's going on, looking at the prophecies, and then working on the ministry. And then number one, of course, is taking care of my kids. And so it's been a, a busy summer, especially with them being home while I'm trying to do all of that. Not to mention the dogs well, and the cat. Yes, yes. Well, all right. Well, that sounds great. Now, here's an interesting video because it talks about the new party of people. And I know you know what I was talking about when I say that. However, there was an interesting point that I kind of just came about. It, it reminds me of your show about code breakers where you look at something and you hear it and then everyone adds in something that you might not have thought about. Anyway, I'm going to talk about that in a second. Greg, roll it! Suddenly behind me, starting behind my back, going in the form of an arrow for hundreds of thousands of people. And I turned around and I was stunned at what I saw. This was not just a mere dream, but this was a vision. And so I raised my hand like this and every one of them raised their hands. I looked back and they were doing the same thing. I shouted and they all shouted. They were one. They were one one party one party of people uh this is amazing by the way donay i've probably seen some of these videos like 10 times over on repeat and everything before i uh, get you to comment on this i have something interesting because i know that when i first entered into the reawaken tour i was at the very first one and it's interesting because that's when it all started this was before you but when i went there the interesting thing about it Everyone there was talking about Kim Clement, Kim Clement, Kim Clement. And we didn't know each other. It was just different people that followed your dad over the years. Interesting thing, and you could add this to your code breakers. That event was in Broken Arrow in Oklahoma. So when your dad talked about the arrow that he saw, I don't know, it just makes me think about Broken Arrow because that's when with the Reawaken tour that it all came about. Okay, that being said, what's your idea when your dad talked about this new party of people? Was he talking about MAGA? Was he talking about conservatism? Was he talking about a breaking away? As your dad said, that God is dissatisfied with both parties, both Democrats and Republicans. What do you think your dad was talking about when he mentioned this? Donate. He was talking about the Uniparty. He was talking about this great deception that's happened in the United States of America. And we have been controlled and divided by this 
And it's been a slow thing that's happened. So not everybody realized what was going on. Uh, but God knew it was going to happen and uh, shared some things like that. And so when I talk about lights along the way, God never tells us everything. And the reason for that is because he requires of us. And so we find ourselves in this situation where, like I said about the media and everything we're going through, something is required of us. And that's true of life in general. Um, but this is a crucial moment in history. And he was picking up on the things we needed to know because that's how God works with, with prophets. He shows them what we need to know and what we're going to need to know. And someone like my dad, he wouldn't have known which things, you know what I'm saying? That's, it shows you really it's a testament to the, not only the existence of God, but the fact that God is not some distant thing. He's, he's intricately involved in our lives. And so all of this is a testament to that fact. But then you see, just like you've just seen, I mean, watching it play out, he was seeing that it would be the people who would rise up against this which we are now seeing as a globalist agenda, which then ties all in with the Bible too. And we won't go there right now with, with the, the end times eschatology, but it is tying in with that. So it's very, uh, I think when my dad lived is very crucial. He became a Christian the same year that Klaus Schwab and Henry Kissinger started the World Economic Forum. That was the year my dad became a Christian. So his life and the story of his life is intricately tied in here. So then when you see him seeing this, this, this party of people, they were one because the voice of the people coming together, those who are awake, and then we're going around shaking other people like, wake up, look at this, look at what's going on. And the media and what you see on your screens will tell you that there's a majority of people who don't believe that. And we're all the conspiracy theories, but that's actually not yeah. the truth. And, and so when he was seeing that, there was a purpose to him seeing that so that we would know Okay, we're in this situation right now where there's so much deception and fog. We're having to see through it. This is a light that helps guide us there. So we know, okay, we, we get concerned when you hear about a new, new political party because you're worried that, for instance, if we split up the Republican Party, the Democrats are going to get every election because now it happens with the, right. the Libertarian Party already. So you have that concern, but it kind of helps with that when you realize enough people are sick and tired of this. Enough people on the left that, that you won't hear from, like Robert Kennedy Jr. You're not going to hear from him because the left is going to bash, bash, bash him because even though he's a Democrat, and I don't agree with him on a lot of things like abortion, friends, but he, God showed him to me before he started getting running for president, before he ran earlier this year. I, I knew it. I, I went on my thing and on my live. I do a Friday, on every Friday I do a live show on YouTube and Rumble, and we do code breaking. And I just I just knew we had to look at him. And people were like, oh, you think he's going to be president? And what about Trump? And what is wrong with you? And I was saying, no, no, no. I actually titled my next show, RFK Jr. will not be president. But I could see him having a position in the administration. And I bring this up because when you talk about that you've got a uniparty that are a bunch of crooks that are working against the rest of us because they've been able to fill their pockets. Like they can make laws about the stock market. And what about term limits? We've got, I mean, Mitch McConnell froze the other day. I think he had a stroke. I mean, you, you, and I'm saying this with, with <laughs> compassion. It's time for yeah. Mitch to go home. He's caused nothing but problems. And so this is the right track because ultimately the people are going to take what is theirs back. And that is this country. It is by the people for the people. So it's going to be Democrats too. We need to, we need to be able to, to reach across 
And instead of, you know, because, gosh, some of these people are so terrible. You know, they're calling us terrorists. They called us murderers when we didn't want to get the vaccine. But it's like we have to actually be Christians, which is the hard part for us right now, is that if someone, no matter how awful they've been, well, I don't know. If they've been doing the Epstein Island stuff, we, we might have to have a second look. But, you know, you're regular people that might have said horrible things or maybe they've stopped talking to their family members or whatever. If they start to wake up, we can't be doing the I told you so because pride comes in then and then people don't want to. And, and we could actually be stopping people. We need people to be awake as many as possible. Yeah. However, we've got a new party. It's the American party. There's no division. There's no race. There's no gender. There's no uh, left or right. We are coming together in this moment and saying all that other little things that we worry about, we're going to put it aside because we have a very urgent situation here and that we're going to use lose the United States of America and not just America because if America falls, the rest of the world will like dominoes fall behind it. So this is a global issue and it is up to the American people to stand up and be brave and do the right thing, no matter how hard it is. So God showed no, dad no, no, no. what happens. So that's positive. <laughs> No, that's good. Uh, Donay, before we go, uh, how can people get in touch with you? Where do they go? Uh, what's your website? How do they get follow you? Besides on YouTube, of course, but uh, your thoughts, uh, Donay? It's a bug in here. <laughs> okay, first of all, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I'm in hot Tennessee. Um, okay, so <laughs> you can go to kimclement.com. That's the easiest thing you can do. Uh, but it's also, it's going to redirect you when go, you go there to the House of Destiny. So it's houseofdestiny.org. That is the network that mom and dad built and created. And so you can go there and you can watch mom and I. Every Saturday we do a conversations, which is an interview, or we do current events where mom looks at world events and ties it in with the Bible. And so uh, there's that. We have an Israel Update channel. We have a midweek Wednesday church service. And this month of August, we're featuring Jackson Lawmeyer, Pastor Jackson Lawmeyer. We'll be oh, doing love teaching him, yeah. Revelation every Wednesday on our network. So do I go over to Pastor Lawmeyer. We have an app, too, the House of Destiny app. You can just search House of Destiny in any app store. And everybody, if you are on Rumble or YouTube, join me for Codebreakers Live. So that's, I'll sit there for an hour, maybe longer, and we play prophecies, and we look at news, and we try to code break together. And it's been very productive and very fun because it's interactive. So I've got Rumble chat. I've got YouTube chat. I'm sitting there with whiteboards, and we're playing prophecies. And we're, you know, this past week, it was my dad had seen a maroon color, and he saw a diamond and a triangle. And I, in Twitter, came across this image, and it was the Kazarian Mafia. And what is that? So it's like very, very exciting. Um, I, I, I might lose YouTube, the YouTube channel at the no. end of all this, yeah. because I'm really, I can't censor myself. <laughs> so we, we just pray well, that YouTube doesn't <laughs> cut us off. But you can find us on YouTube and Rumble as well. Just search for Kim Clement and join me on Friday for the lives. And then I, I also have Prophetic Rewind on Mondays. We have so much stuff over there. Just go over there and look. It's just full, full, full. We, we, we will do that. Thank you. Donay Clement, thank you for joining us once again. Guys, you got to check out all the things that she's doing over there. For everyone else, stick around about George with Gene Ho coming back. Our last audio is from Man in America podcast with Seth Holhouse, where he interviews Steve Dece, I think it's DC, D E A C E, who is the man behind the film where an atheist meets a demon. Thank you.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Man in America. I'm your host, Seth Holhouse. So right now, everyone's talking about Sound of Freedom, which I've got some shows about that, which you'll be seeing if you haven't already. But there's one movie that I would say was equally as powerful, if not more powerful, but in a different way. And that was Nefarious. And this was put out by Steve Dace. He's part of the Blaze TV team. I think he did it independently, though they had some interaction there. And I have to say, I, I'm I'm a movie critic. My wife is even more of a movie critic. We've watched this film twice. We were absolutely blown away. It's a Christian horror film, which is actually one of the reasons why I didn't watch it in theaters. I thought it's, I don't I don't like horror films, but we had seen some really good reviews about. It. I think it was actually a Mike Adams review of it, and we said, okay, let's just give it a chance. And I was absolutely blown away. I mean, it's not only is it one of the best films that I've actually ever seen, but the way it accomplished the goal, I think, of, I would say, almost taking someone who could walk into the theater as an atheist, someone that believes that abortion is good, that you can love whoever you want, that there is no God, and like this is the only film I've ever seen that would come close to taking that person and have them walk out of that theater saying, I need to really reevaluate what my beliefs are because that movie shook me to the core. So I'm going to be interviewing today Steve Dace, who was the original author of the book that then became the movie, and he was very involved in the, the movie itself. Uh, but before we get started, I'll go and play a trailer. So I've got about a two-minute trailer to play for you that lines up this movie. So go ahead and enjoy this trailer here. Hello? You should have accepted my offer, James. <laughs> Execution scheduled for 11 p.m. But he's trying to convince us he's gone insane. And therefore incapable of being executed. I need you to prove he's faking it. Edward? I'm gonna ask you some questions. I'm not Edward. I'm a demon. Demons aren't really a thing. What happened to Edward? We own him. We? <laughs> he's a master manipulator. You have your head so twisted around you think you're the killer, not him. Now give me something to make me believe you. Prove to me you're a demon. Probably just a coincidence. I want to talk to the real Edward. Makes me do bad things. I can't stop him. I need you to see something. You got a fan. Did the same thing with all his victims. Help me! I'm trying to, Edward, but you have to answer my questions. You have to tell me the truth. It won't let me! It can go away. It can go away. Yes? No. It's time 
exactly what it is that we'd like you to do. Absolutely insane. Now, I'll tell you, if you're considering looking at this and you want, if you're considering watching, and after that trailer, you have this thought of maybe it's too evil, maybe it's too dark, maybe it's too scary. I would say that it's probably a little bit too scary for younger children, but teenagers and above, they'll be able to handle it. It's a lot more PG than probably most stuff they're seeing today, but it's, it's very real and it accomplishes. I, what I think is showing you God through showing you the devil and it's extremely effective. So anyway, folks, we're going to go ahead and dive into this interview with Steve Dace. I hope you enjoy it. Um, make sure you're following me on social media. Make sure you're listening to the podcast as well. Go to your favorite podcast app, searching for man in America. You can also find me on LFA TV on rumble. It's a great channel with a bunch of really phenomenal shows. And of course, just my main rumble channel as well. And if you're watching on YouTube, which this video will go on YouTube because it's not something that has some bad stuff we can't talk about on YouTube. Um, if you're watching only on YouTube, you're missing probably 75% of my content because the majority of my content actually can't go onto YouTube because they're community guidelines. So just make sure you go check out the rumble channel. So folks, let's dive into this interview with Steve Dace. All right. So Steve, Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show. You bet, man. Thank you for having me. So I have watched a lot of Christian movies and I'm, you know, being honest, I'm almost always disappointed. They're either cheesy or the the jokes aren't very good or the acting's not very good. Or fundamentally, I, I would say that they're really, it's almost like they're movies that are made for a Christian audience they're not movies that would appeal to a non-Christian audience, let alone an atheist audience. Yet my wife and I, after hearing a lot of positive reviews, we sat down recently and watched Nefarious, which I know that you wrote the book for and were very involved. And I was, I was blown away. We've watched it twice. And not only was it one of the best movies I've ever seen, and I'm not just, you know, kind of kissing up. I'm being, I'm being very honest with that. It was the only movie I've seen that I would say has the potential to take someone who's an atheist and have them walk out of the theater thinking, I need to reevaluate my perspective on my beliefs because that shook me to the core. Well, you just checked a lot of boxes that going back to the first day of storyboarding the movie uh, that we aimed for. Um, we, we made this movie evangelistically. There's a reason that we did not have the demon go head to head with a member of the ministry, a member of the clergy, uh, but someone who kind of represents the secular spirit of the age. Um, because we, we are, we're trying, frankly, to use our film to grab this culture by the throat as it kind of just stares. You know, we're at the lip of the mouth of madness right now, staring into the abyss and deciding, do we want to just dive head first or belly flop in? And we are trying to, with our movie, grab the culture by the proverbial throat, shake it and say, do you truly understand where all of your ideas that you think are progressive and enlightened truly come from? And so we, we wanted our demon to hit a person of the left from the left, the true origin of their worldview, and, and help to figure out who just, who's a sheep and who's a wolf, you know, who doesn't know they were educated one way, indoctrinated one way in government schools and by pop culture and have 
not even considered some of these sort of metaphysical truths that previous generations of Americans took for granted. And then who's who's a wolf? Who's all in on it? Who absolutely is into it? And, um, you know, a sheep doesn't know, a wolf doesn't want to know. And so our movie is very clarifying to that regard. But the number one thing we wanted to do was make a hell of a movie. And we knew if we set out to check boxes and to, and to insert purposefully or contrive this or that, it would get in the way of the movie. We wanted to first and foremost make a great movie. And our filmmakers, directors, uh, Carrie Solomon and Chuck Consulman, I think they, they figured something out with quote unquote low budget filmmaking. We made our film for about, uh, for about $3 million. I think that a lot of times when you make a movie on a modest budget, you, you, have, you have the script of the movie you want to make, and then the realities of the budget cause you to start taking things out or, or scaling things back. But by then, you've already crafted the story you wanted. In this case, Terry and Chuck knew in advance what their budget was going to be, and so they wrote a script to that budget. And, and that way, they are, they were, their imagination was already constrained by the financial realities that they faced and within that reality, then they were they were kind of freed up to, uh, to 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 write the best story they could. And then I think you know, you know, they come from the God's not dead pure flicks world. I don't. I'm certainly more grittier and direct. And I think that my our partnership, I think, gave them permission to to in terms of tempo, atmosphere, um, to go to places the traditional pure flicks model wasn't going to tolerate or, or didn't think was, um, you know, worthy of, of being a faith-based or Christian film. And, and so I think that, um, my instincts combined with theirs and their experience, I think that collaboration led to kind of the, the genre busting film that you were given a chance to see. And that's, what's interesting is that I remember the, the, a lot of the marketing coming out earlier this year, and I remember seeing, okay, a Christian horror film. It, it, it kind of, it just, right. I couldn't make sense of it. And I, I, as a kid, I, you know, high schooler, I loved horror films. I watched all of them. I loved Friday the 13th and all that stuff. But as an adult, I, I despise them. I feel like that they're just, they're evil. They put dark things into your mind. And so I avoid them. And even seeing it was a Christian horror film, I was like, ah, I'll kind of pass on that. But I saw so many really raving reviews. I was like, okay, maybe I'm just going to, it's worth it to go see this. And what's interesting about it is that it shows it it shows you God through showing you the devil. And that's, that's yes. a really crazy, that's a really, I guess, profound thing because even in my life, you know, I grew up in a very modest kind of Christian Midwestern household. You know, my, my faith was, Oh, we go to church every Sunday and I go to, you know, VBS, you know, as a kid. Right. But it, it wasn't right. until right. I was actually in college. And when I, i actually, I met this guy that had come out of a labor camp in China and I learned about the tortures that he experienced under communism, that that it sent me down this spiral of trying to understand, you know, communism and look into and reading stories about how they tortured people, the psychological torture, cannibalism, you know, under Mao. And, and it was actually, it was through seeing that evil that made me see, made me go through this process of saying, you know what? Evil absolutely exists. These are not just human beings doing that. This is this is demonic, the kind of stuff that they're doing. So that was part of it. But then my response is like, what do I do then? Do I just back away or do I have to side against it? Well, it's like, well, if evil exists, then God exists. So I'm going to choose God's side and run at that side 
like as hard and fast as I can because I've seen the depth of the evil. And I think that that the film really does a great job of showing that it doesn't make you believe in God through showing you God. It makes you believe in God through showing you the devil and seeing how the devil has his hand in everything that we're seeing in our society, the abortion stuff, the, the woke agenda, the just everything that we're seeing playing out in our society, it, it connects it. It's like, oh my goodness. And that's intentional. A lot of times we will let the darkness say to, say to us in our sinful state, but we won't accept from the light. We don't think we're worthy of the light. Um, we, we shriek, uh, we, we shirk away from the light. Um, we, we want to snuff the light because it convicts us of our own darkness. So in this case, the darkness is what, is what ends up convicting people. And, you know, the, the, if, if we were in a, in another era, I might have a different take. I, I might say that we live in an era where people are pretty well up on evil. What they, what they really need to hear more about is the grace and love of God. We're not in that era. Uh, we're in that era where everybody's found their divine buddy. And um, everybody's convinced that everyone else is evil except themselves. Everyone is wise in their own eyes. And so this, this is an era now for some old-time religion. And, and people need to hear again. And, and, and I think the modern American church has taken, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself and has put it on the, either the same line as love, love, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, or has even put it on the line above that to the point that anything that would offend my neighbor means I'm not loving him. So I don't want to confront him with anything. And so I just accommodate everything. And, and so those were all things that were on our minds as we crafted this story, as the script was being written, is that this is a culture that needs to be confronted yet again with the reality of evil. It has heard every white, fluffy, happy-go-lucky, loving, uh, it's heard, it's heard all those appeals. It's, it's heard from all the pastors in Hawaiian shirts and pleated khakis. It's, it's heard all that. Okay. It, it's rejected it all. And so then it needs to hear, um, you know, it needs to hear from me. It needs to hear then since, since, since everybody's good and therefore no one needs a savior. I think people need to be reminded they're not good. Uh, and that there is evil, that everyone is evil and therefore in need of a savior. Yeah, and one of the points that was made in that also is is you know in the conversation between the the main character, the psychiatrist, and, and the, uh, the the prisoner, right? Say, you know, the the demon himself. When the, you know the, the guy, the psychiatrist was saying, you know, look, like our our society is so advanced, we have all these things, and and the demon's right. response was so perfect in saying that it's like we have you exactly where you we want you to be that mm-hmm. you're committing some of those heinous acts of evil such as abortion without even realizing it's evil like it's one thing to know that it's evil and like you know the, the satanic church that's doing their satanic ritual abortions that it's one thing to know that you're doing evil but you know the the road is you know the the, the was it the road to hell is paid in good intentions that's so true this day and age that a whole generation or multiple generations have been convinced that actually these good intentions of love everyone, no matter what you can do, whatever you want to. Well, it's like, well, where do you draw the line at? Because, you know, back in the seventies, you know, where my mom drew the line is different from where they're drawing the line now. And you can see how the, the, the next line is going to be pedophilia. And they're going to say, well, you know, it's, it's all about love and this is God's love it being expressed through the pedophile. And like, you can see that they're already working that in. So I said, I thought it just did a good job in really helping to establish that new 
baseline of like, wow, there is such thing as good and evil. Morality is not subjective. This is where the craftsmanship of the film we made is very important. Otherwise, it comes across as you either roll your eyes, it's polemical, um, it's too much red meat, it's too on the nose, it's too ham-fisted, and, and really only the, the, a, a very fringe of people who already agreed with you will affirm that because it, it affirms them. And this is where the craftsmanship comes into play. Uh, the way Sean Patrick Flannery plays our demon, the menacing, the subtlety, the subtext, um, he makes it believable. And so when he expresses these viewpoints to you, you sense that this is real. This is seething hatred. And he wants you to know he hates you. He wants you to know this. It is important for him to know that you know he hates you and why. Um, and and, and in, a, in the hands of a lesser actor or someone who frankly wasn't as anointed as he was to play this role, some of these things probably read like some of the, the most eye-rolling um, comments at, at, at the, on, on Breitbart's comments section. Well, yeah, we agree with it, but like no one talks like that. You know what I'm saying? And in this case, um, this all becomes very relevant and hits home very close to home because of the quality of the performances in our film. And then our, our psychiatrist, uh, Jordan Belfi, especially with his facial expressions as the movie goes on. He comes in, he is so cocksure. He is so self-assured. He has all the answers. He's the people we've been waiting for. And you slowly but surely over the course of this 90-minute real-time encounter with this demon, you watch him get wrecked. You watch his worldview collapse right before his very eyes. And you see him come in very um, buttoned down, very much in control. And by the end, he's completely lost control because of who he's found out is ultimately in control. And so the movie was based on a book that you, you wrote. Um, where, where did the inspiration come from? What was your drive? Did you intend to write the book first and then make a movie or what was behind this? So I never envisioned that this movie would get made. Um, I wrote the book in nefarious plot on my first trip to Washington, DC, because there's no better place to be inspired by a demonic takeover of America than Washington, D.C. And I was in the shower and a voice popped into my head and said, this book is dedicated to all the useful idiots out there, especially those of you who had no idea you were being used all this time, for you proved to be the most useful idiots of them all, nefarious. And I thought, that's kind of strange, but it ended up being the dedication of the book. And when I got back from doing some appointments there, I started piddling around on my keyboard with what eventually became the introduction that's in the book to this day. and. Um, and I patterned it after a screw tape letters, but I wanted to go next level. You know, instead of the, 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 the temptation of us as individuals, what about the takedown of an entire culture? And so I created this character, uh, Lord Nefarious, a high Lord of hell, who was, re, who was commissioned by the devil with the destruction of the United States of America. And in this book, he lays out why he did it, how he did it, who he did it through, real names, real events, real movements. And he lays it all out in very painstaking detail. And he puts it in a book and publishes it under his own name because the fact that we won't believe it, we'll consider it conspiracy theory or it's silly, is how he'll convince his master, the devil, that his plan has been successful, irrevocable, and they're now ready to move on with the next stage of hell's plan for global dominion with the United States kind of off the board. And um, I, I had a guy that I work with now, I didn't know him at the time, call me out of the blue named Glenn Beck. And uh, he said, like six months after my book came out, Hey, man, a mutual friend of ours 
uh, shared your book with me and it blew my mind. And I want to have you on my show. And I, of course, didn't want Glenn's 10 million listeners to know about this book I was written. So I turned him down. Actually, I came on the very next day and uh, driving around Burbank, California that day was the, a, a guy named Chris Jones, who's one of the producers of uh, for Believe and helped work on a God's Not Dead for Pure Flicks. And they were getting ready to start their own uh, independent movie, um, which went on to great success known as Unplanned, about break, which was uh, Abby Johnson's memoir as a whistleblower at Planned Parenthood. And they were looking for their next movie, and they always wanted to do kind of a Frank Peretti style of spiritual horror. And uh, they heard me talking about this book, and they all went to the office afterwards, got it on Kindle, and it blew them away. And they contacted me the next day, offering to buy the movie rights. And we waited for them to get done with Unplanned. And as soon as uh, California reopened from COVID, I went out there to begin the storyboard process. And it took about three years. from uh, storyboarding to uh, uh, theatrical release in April. We had a lot of spiritual attacks, a lot of attempts to shut the film down to stop us. Everything from COVID pneumonia to I had a mysterious bacterial infection that almost killed me. We we got threatened with a union strike in a right to work state. Um, I mean, just a lot of, and I, and I warned our team from the beginning. I said, hey, you know, go online and watch the making of The Exorcist, watch the making of The Omen, and we're not making a movie that's that graphic. But if you earnestly seek to show the enemy and his motivations for who he is, he doesn't take that lying down, you know? And and we faced that for several years. On the other hand, God was very faithful to us and opened up a lot of doors for us to get this movie completed and made. And so we watched spiritual warfare play out every day, just about to get this movie done. And um, it was a fight for every movie theater, and now we are having a very successful streaming um, window that we're all very excited about. And I remember, because I follow you on Twitter, and I remember, you know, you know, kind of following your chronicle of your this back, this infection that you had that nearly took your life. And so, I mean, I, I, me, for me personally, I, I absolutely believe that we are in a spiritual battle, and that a lot of times the feeling of sickness or whatever, it, it could literally be a demon that's punching you in the gut that makes you feel like crap when you wake up the next morning because they don't want you to get out there and fight against them. And so what was that like for you? I mean, was it something that you just, you saw like, this is an attack from the evil and I have to stand up strong against it? Or what was that experience like? We have been through so much already to get this movie made that the timing of getting a very rare infection of MRSA of unknown origin, and it happens the very week the movie is coming out, especially because the next week, um, I had to go back in the hospital again because I had near-death allergic reactions to the medication it took to fight off the MRSA. The, 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 the day I was discharged in the hospital, I got a call from the aforementioned Chris Jones. And he's like, you are not going to believe this. Or no, he texted me. He's like, you're not going to believe this. I was just putting my young son, uh, Jonah, uh, in, his, uh, uh, in his car seat. And an SUV came out of nowhere in this parking lot here and uh, nearly killed me and him, took the door off my car and totaled it. The next day, another one of our producers, John Sullivan, texted me and says, you're not going to believe this. My car was parked outside here at my house in L.A. like it normally is. A nursing student fell asleep driving on a residential street, crashed into it and totaled it. Thankfully, I hadn't gone to work yet, so nobody was in there. I mean, I, I think we lost track of eight different car accidents associated with members of the crew or cast 
over the course of the making of this film, including bicycle accidents. And I, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was it was pretty clear what was going on in order to get this movie made. But the Lord was faithful and we persevered. And have you seen any responses specifically from people that have said, I was, I was an atheist or I was really doubting? Oh, yeah. I, well, what are some of the, what are some of those responses looked like? I mean, I've gotten thousands of emails uh, that I have saved and a lot of them are what you described made me really rethink things, made family members. I knew really rethink things, helped me reach family members. I just couldn't reach on my own. And the way you marketed the film as a horror film, you basically suckered them into the, into seeing it, which is, was our intent basically. And they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. And by the time they figured it out, they were just so in, you know, enthralled with the story. They didn't want to turn it off. And, and, and again, those are things we set out to do. I mean, Hollywood has spent 80 years figuring out that it can get away with assaulting our worldview if we are interested in the story and find the characters interesting. And we set out to just follow that exact same model. You know, Jesus said the children of men are smarter than the children of light. So we just used the same tactic against the enemy that has been used against us. We made a very high quality film. We, we modeled it after Silence of the Lambs, Primal Fear, some of the classic, you know, psychological thrillers of the 90s. We went for that temperament, for that tone. And, um, and, and it, it doesn't look at all or, or sound at all like a movie made for $3 million. In fact, I had one of the, one of the highest rated, highest ranking uh, people in the, in the movie industry screen our movie. And his first question after we got done was, how much do you make that movie for? And I told him, he said, there's just, that's not possible. A movie cannot look or sound like that for that amount of money. And so those are some of the doors that the Lord opened for us to really get a lot of bang for our buck in our production value, because our intent was, let's just make the most thrilling story we can. And if we, if we capture your imagination while you're in there, you'll let us insult your worldview for a change. So two final questions. This should be easy ones. Sequel and where can people watch the film? Well, that's, uh, they're the same question, answer, actually. You can stream it right now on iTunes, um, Apple, Google, YouTube, uh, Amazon, uh, Roku, Vudu, Salem Now. And if, if this movie is profitable, and we took a big step towards that with how well we've done in our initial streaming phase, then I think you will see some more nefarious uh, content, perhaps a sequel and a prequel, uh, as a matter of fact. Those are, all, those are all conversations that we're having right now. The first thing, though, is we need proof of concept. Everyone agrees we have made a, a very good film, one that completely redefines the level of, of quality expected now from faith-based filmmaking. And that's great. But now we have to prove there's a market for it. And the streaming market for this has really taken off and provided all our investors get paid back and their, you know, uh, profit dividend. Then I think it'll be, it won't be as, it won't be as difficult to, to get people to go for round two. So we're excited about that. Fantastic. Well, that's actually a, a big part of why I'm doing this interview is I want more people to see the film. So for people that are watching or listening, Thanks. go rent the film. Share it with your friends and family. Invite your family over. Don't even tell them what it is. Say this is this awesome new horror film that just came out. It's going to blow your mind. Right. You know, like that's, yep. that's how we got to do it. So, Steve, thanks again for taking the time to sit down with me today. It's, it's an honor to have you on. And, and thank you for what you're doing. This is very important work. Very kind. I really appreciate it. Thank you as well for your time and the recommendation. And uh, let's uh, maybe do this again if we get more nefarious content in the future. Thank great. you. I found that to be a very interesting uh, 
interview. Very interesting, but I don't really know that I want to see the movie. But it's probably something that A, needed to be made, and B, a lot of people probably should see it. Might change their reality. Okay, so you remember when um, uh, Sean, Sean Nolan was talking about the QAnon and, and this plan. What was the plan? Trusting the plan. He wasn't, you know, really behind it. Well, I'm going to play you. This is an add-on because we have extra time here. Um, I'm going to play you some of Kim Clement that somebody else put together. As a matter of fact, it's JoJo Dawson <clears throat> on YouTube. And this is a compilation of... It's, it basically goes to 2007 to 2014. And in it, you're going to hear him prophesizing. It's just a slice of all the pro prophecies that he gave. You're going to hear a slice in there. And it's kind of spooky in many ways, but it's also not accurate. I think he thought Gates was a good guy. Well, we found out didn't different, didn't we? But anyway, I think you'll at least be inspired and walk away from the show feeling a lot better <clears throat> about where we may be. Because in the end, maybe the plan was God's. has ended. Hear me! For I have found a man after my own heart. I have found a man after my own heart and he is amongst you. The highest court in the land, the Supreme Court, too shall step down for the embarrassment of what shall take place. For I wish to place in the highest court in the land righteousness. And they shall attempt to put others in to endeavor, to reach their endeavors. But God says, hear me tonight. Hear me today. I have this whole thing planned out according to my will. For it is now time for me to restore the fortunes of Zion. I couldn't quite see his face because that was not allowed. Because there was a mist that covered all the people and he was amongst them. And the Spirit of God made me look at him and he said, This man will throttle the enemies of Israel. This man will throttle the enemies of the West. And there are highly embarrassing moments that are about to occur for many many politicians in this nation there'll be a shaking amongst there will be a shaking amongst the de democrats in the upcoming elections but unsettling for the republicans why is why is god doing this for god said i am dissatisfied with what emerges from both parties And then there is a nation he showed me and took me itching for a new kind of war with America. They will shout impeach, impeach, they say. But nay. 
this nation shall come very subtly but he shall not come in the time of President Obama they shall come when this new one arises my David that I have set aside for this nation a man of prayer a man of choice words not a man who is verbose who has verbosity who speaks too much they will even say this man is not speaking enough but God says I have set him aside they will shout impeach impeach but this shall not happen and then God says highly embarrassing moments when another Snowden arises and people will become very afraid they'll say we have no protection and then God says am I impressed with your weapons of war am I impressed with the strength of your men's legs ha! I have said I will bring this nation to its knees the man that I have raised up pray for the enemy will do everything in his power to put a witch in the White House did anybody hear what he just said for Jezebel has chased away the prophets and even Elijah Come on. now I have said go back for this shall be dismantled so that there will be no more corruption in the White House says the spirit this that shall take place shall be the most unusual thing a transfiguration and going into the marketplace if you wish into the news media where Time Magazine will have no choice but to say what I want them to say Newsweek what I want to say The View what I want to say Trump shall become a trumpet says the Lord Trump shall become a trumpet I will raise up the Trump to become a trumpet and Bill Gates to open up the gate of a financial realm for the church says the Lord I will not forget 9-11 I will not forget what took place that day and I will not forget the gatekeeper that watched over New York who will once again stand and watch over this nation says the Spirit of God it shall come to pass that the man that I place in the highest office shall go in whispering my name but God said when he enters into the office he will be shouting out by the power of the Spirit for I shall fill him with my spirit when he goes into office and there will be a praying man in the highest seat in your land there will be a praying president not a religious one for I will fool the people says the Lord I will fool the people yes I will God says the one that is chosen shall go in and they shall say he has hot blood for the Spirit of God says yes he may have hot blood but he will bring the walls of protection on this country in a greater way and the economy of this country shall change rapidly says the Lord of hosts listen to the word of the Lord God says I will put at your helm 
for two terms. A president that will pray, but he will not be a praying president when he starts. I will put him in office and then I will baptize him with the Holy Spirit and my power, says the Lord of hosts. Come on! You've been listening to Radio 5G, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening.